Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that you are powerfully at work by your Spirit through the preaching of your weak servants. So help me now to proclaim Christ as Lord clearly and plainly. Uh, encourage our hearts in the light of eternity so that we do not lose heart, but we press on in proclaiming Christ to those around us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why does it have to be so hard to be a Christian? Why does it have to be so hard to be a Christian? Many Christians find the Christian life is very long and very difficult. And we're thrown into turmoil when suffering after suffering comes upon us. Uh, very often we're taught that if we become a Christian, that God is going to bless us. He'll help us with our work and our family. Uh, he'll give us success. And this, all these blessings that we have will help us to better share the gospel because they'll see how wonderful our life is and they want to have the same. But of course, all this uh, contradicts our common experience that the Christian life is very difficult. There's frequently opposition. Things usually don't go to plan. Uh, we feel weak and afraid. And very often we're not very sure how we're going to keep going in the Christian faith, let alone persevering in Christian ministry. Uh, there was a recent survey in the US. They do this every year. And uh, the most recent one uh, revealed that within the last year, 42% of pastors have given serious consideration to quitting full-time ministry. 42% have given serious consideration to quitting full-time ministry. The top reasons for this were uh, immense stress, 56% of uh, people, loneliness and isolation, 43%, and uh, political divisions, because America is very divided along those lines. I think most pastors that I've talked to have joked about what they would do if they quit uh, full-time ministry. I believe uh, William Taylor, the pastor in St. Helens, London, he said that he'd become a postman. Uh, I often tell Suman that I would probably open a Christian bookshop or maybe a photocopy center so you can uh, you know, photocopy bulletins for churches or something like that. But if God loves us so much and he pours out his blessings on us, that mission is, is, is God's, uh, God's purpose in this world, then why does it all have to be so difficult? Why, why do we always have to feel like it's hard? Why can't it just be smooth and successful instead of fragile and failing? And uh, here is a key truth that we need to learn from this passage this morning, that God deliberately keeps his servants weak, that the glory may go to God. God deliberately keeps his servants weak, that the glory may go to God. Our sufferings are not accidental. Our weakness is not an anomaly. Suffering is the norm. It's God's deliberate plan for us. And Paul wants us to see in this passage how our weakness serves to uh, serves the spread of the glorious gospel so that uh, we will not give up in proclaiming Jesus even though we feel so weak and powerless most of the time. We see it twice in this passage, uh, this encouragement. Look at verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercies of God, we do not lose heart. And again in verse 16, towards the end, he says, so we do not lose heart. Paul knows that because the Christian life, Christian ministry is difficult, 
There are many times we're going to be tempted to give up, and he's writing this passage so that we won't give up. Now, we've seen in 2 Corinthians, Paul is defending authentic gospel ministry against these so-called super apostles. Uh, And in chapters 2 to 7, the heart of this letter, uh, Paul has been showing us that authentic gospel ministry is new covenant ministry of the Spirit. And Paul has been arguing here that true gospel ministry always involves suffering because uh, it's divisive. As you preach the gospel, some will accept the message, but many will also rejected so that the mark of authentic gospel ministry is not that everything is victorious and successful all the time but that we faithfully proclaim the message uh, even though it will receive a mixed response and so on the outside authentic ministry will often seem weak and unimpressive but in fact it is glorious and life-giving because even as we preach this message God is at work by his spirit changing hearts so that we can behold the glory of God in the face of Christ. And in this passage, Paul is showing how he perseveres in ministry, even though not everyone welcomes his message. So let's begin then. The first point, we plainly preach Christ as Lord. We plainly preach Christ as Lord. Verse 1, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Notice how Paul expects here there are times when we will feel like giving up, when the work is slow, when we're facing opposition, when we feel inadequate. There will be times we want to give up. And Paul knew this personally. Uh, He said back in chapter 1 verse 15, you remember, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Paul wasn't just considering giving up ministry. He didn't know how to go on living his life. But Paul didn't give up because he knew that this new covenant ministry of the Spirit was a privilege. Look again at that verse 1. Having this ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. I think that's always a very good truth to remember when we're struggling in ministry. It's always good to remember that serving is a privilege. To be able to serve others at all, that is a gift of God, let alone the joy of seeing people transformed by the gospel through our ministry, helping people to see God in all his glory as the lights go on, they see how wonderful God is. What a privilege to be involved in such a ministry. But Paul knows when you're under pressure, when you feel like giving up, when you're discouraged, it's so easy to compromise at that point. We've seen the criticisms against Paul. He's not a man of integrity. He's all in this gospel ministry for personal gain. He can't really be trusted, this Paul. But Paul defends his ministry, even though he feels like giving up, even though it's so hard, he plainly preaches Christ as Lord. He doesn't change the message. He is a faithful servant. Look at verse 2. He says, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. He's saying, look, in Christian ministry, the ends doesn't justify the means. In fact, that's true in any part of the Christian life. The ends never justifies the means. You cannot justify sinful behavior like lying and deception 
because it produces good results. Uh, for example, you uh, have a non-Christian friend that you are trying to reach out to and you want to invite them to uh, some uh, evangelistic event or something like this. And so you tell them, oh, there's going to be a wonderful dinner. You know, there's going to be some great games. You're going to really enjoy the night. It'll be a, you know, a lucky, lucky draw and so on. You tell them all these things and you never tell them, oh, actually, you know, we're going to read the Bible. There's going to be a, a Christian message there uh, as well. Uh, or, or maybe we distort the message itself. Uh, we make it sound more attractive. We, we promise, look, if you believe in Jesus, these are all the blessings you're going to have. These are all the successes that you're going to have uh, in your life. We, we leave out the, 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 the suffering part, the sacrifices part. We just leave that over to the side. The ends doesn't justify the means, you see. Yes, we might have a good motivation. We want to see people know Jesus. But we have to do it in the right way. Verse 2, we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. Deception, changing the word of God to get results, that's what the super apostles, in fact, were doing. We read in chapter 11, verse 3, he says, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. You see, this is what the super apostles were doing, changing the message deceptively in order to get a following for themselves. But not Paul. Paul refuses to change the message to get results. He refuses to leave out the sin and judgment part because people might not like to hear that. He doesn't twist the message for his own benefit so that they'll give more money to the church or something like that. You know, give money to the church. God will multiply it back to you. No. Paul always says the truth. Verse 2, he says, But by open statement of the truth, we will commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of of God. Paul wants to commend himself. He wants, he wants us to boast in him. He wants us to recognize that his way of doing ministry is the right one. And his way is about faithfulness to the message, not popularity before the people. And so Christian ministry must always be straightforward and plain. It's not Chinese whispers. You know, Chinese whispers, you try to just mix up the message a bit as, it, as it's passed along. Not Chinese whispers, faithful transmission. Not deception, but integrity. Because we're not trusting in our own ability to, to change people and get them into the kingdom. We are trusting that as we preach that simple gospel message, God himself will be at work to save people. And so faithful gospel preaching will always be bold and faithful gospel preaching will always make us feel quite uncomfortable because it won't tell us what we want to hear all the time. It will get under our skin. It will call us to repentance. It will challenge us to change. And of course, lots of people won't like that because they don't want to change and they don't want to get rid of their sins. They'll reject it. They'll say, oh, it's too bold. It's too direct, too harsh, too intolerant, too fundamentalist. But faithful gospel ministry will always be clear and straightforward, saying whatever the word of God says. Now, don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean that we can be offensive in our manner. 
We cannot use verses like this to justify being rude or arrogant or harsh or unloving. We must speak the truth in love. There's no, oh, I'm just giving people the truth kind of thing. No. We speak the truth in love. We trust God to bring the results. Because we're told here, after all, it is God who must bring the results. It says in verse 3, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. They're very startling verses, those, isn't it? I mean, firstly, it says that Christ is the image of God. You can't see God. God is invisible. But as you look at Jesus, you can know what God is like. You can see him in all of his glory. It's startling because it says the reason people can't believe is because they have, they've been blinded so that they can't see the truth. See, the reason why people reject the gospel is not really, in the end, because we're not persuasive enough. As if, you know, we could just all go and study apologetics and memorize the, the correct answer to every question a non-Christian might ask us uh, and, and just parrot off that answer and therefore everyone we talk to will become a Christian. It doesn't work like that, does it? Of course, apologetics is, is helpful. Uh, there's a place for giving a reason for the hope that we have. But in the end, it's not how persuasive we are that's going to bring the fruit. It's only the work of God by his Holy Spirit. Because Paul reminds us here, this is our natural state. We are veiled. We are blinded by Satan. We cannot see the truth. It's not that Satan is more powerful than God. God has allowed Satan to blind people. But it reminds us that it's a spiritual battle uh, that we're in. Uh, recently, a friend of mine asked me to uh, pray for an elderly relative they were sharing the gospel with. Uh, they'd gone and shared the gospel with this, uh, with this man uh, who was a Taoist. And at the end of the conversation, he politely declined and said, I'm not really interested. And so they asked for prayer. They asked for prayer that uh, and uh, bring him to faith in Jesus. Because I guess they, they understood. In the end, it needs the work of God for someone to become a Christian. And so they asked us to pray that God would change his heart. It is important, isn't it, when we preach the gospel to people, that we don't take rejection personally. We don't need to start beating ourselves up and think, oh, I'm so lousy at evangelism. You know, I'm so bad at speaking and explaining what the Bible says. I'm so lacking in courage. It's all my fault that my family and friends don't know Jesus. No, that's not ultimately why they are rejecting it. It's not about how impressive we are, but it's the work of God by his spirit bringing people to faith. And so rather than being discouraged and motivated when it doesn't seem like it's going very well, we should pray. Pray that God will open the hearts, their hearts to Christ. Pray that they would respond to the message that we're sharing with them. If you're not already, let me remind you again, please be praying for non-Christian family and friends. Don't stop praying, no matter how many years it has been. There are some relatives in my family I've been praying for for decades now. But all it takes is just a moment for God to touch their hearts. Everything will change in a moment. 
seems so hard for us, but for God it is so easy and it can happen so fast. So are you trusting in the work of God, in the gospel of God to change people? We don't need to point to how impressive our lives are since we've uh, become Christians. Uh, we don't need to have any frills. We don't need to change the message. Just plainly and straightforwardly explain the gospel. Jesus died as our saviour. Jesus rose as our Lord. You need to repent and believe in him. Uh, we don't need to tell people how Jesus has helped us with our studies and our careers. And if they trust in Jesus, he'll help them too if they turn to him. Fun Evangelism is not about pointing to ourselves. It's about pointing simply to Jesus. And that's what Paul says here in verse 5. He says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. Now, these super apostles Paul's contending with, they were obsessed with themselves, their own power, their own achievements, their own commendations, how many followers they had. Uh, some preachers are like that today, always boasting about themselves as they preach. You know, they, they, they talk about how wonderful and godly they are, how many ministries they've started, how much impact they've had, and, and so on. That's not Paul. Paul's not interested in any of those things. The gospel is always about pointing people to Jesus and not pointing people to us. I think very often we go wrong as we seek to share our testimony to others. Uh, we think that uh, sharing a testimony is all about talking about us uh, and, uh, and all, the, all the blessings that we've had in our life so that we hardly mention Jesus or what he's done for us. But when we share a testimony, we're meant to be bearing witness to, to Jesus. We're meant to be explaining who he is and what he has done, even as he has worked in our lives. And, and so we don't only, uh, not only point to him as, as saviour, we don't just point to all the blessings that he's given us in our life, but fundamentally here we're told we must declare him Lord. We must say he is our king, whom we must submit to and obey. He is our judge, whom we will, who will hold us to account at the end. Verse 5, what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Notice here, churches don't exist to serve gospel ministers. Gospel ministers exist to serve churches. Now, again, the false teachers, that's exactly what they were doing. Chapter 11, verse 20, Paul says, for you bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantages of you or puts you on airs or strikes you in the face. How often do gospel preachers use their position uh, to, well, to use people or even abuse people for their own benefit? That was not Paul. What we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. See, it's only as we preach Christ and his gospel simply and plainly, not ourselves, that's when the Spirit powerfully works to remove the veil from blind hearts. Verse 6 says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, 
has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul tells us that conversion is like recreation. Remember back at the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1, God said, let there be light, and there was light. And so we're told here, it's through the gospel word, Jesus Christ is Lord. God brings new life, eternal life, to blind and darkened hearts. And not only is, is, is it that he's bringing life to us, but it says we, he brings light to us as well. In other words, as we declare, Jesus Christ is Lord. God is revealed in all of his glory. Not like Moses who had to hid himself, his, uh, himself from God and his glory as he passed by. Now we're told we can behold the fullness of God's glory as it is revealed in Jesus Christ. I hope you see, we must not give up in our gospel ministry. We must go on preaching Christ as Lord. It's not because we're so bad that people are not becoming Christians. This is God's work. We simply preach the message. We trust him for the results as he breathes new life into people through his gospel. So, so far we've seen we preach a glorious gospel. It's able to bring new life. It's able to reveal God in all his glory. But now in verses 7 to 12, Paul contrasts the glory of this gospel message with the weakness of the messenger. So the second point, we are to expect suffering and affliction. We expect suffering and affliction. Verse 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Here is that vital truth we must understand if we're going to keep going in Christian ministry. God deliberately keeps his messengers weak so that it's absolutely clear that when someone's life is transformed by the gospel, it was God's work and not our work. And so he gets the glory and not us. Do you feel afraid? Do you feel constantly weak as you seek to share the gospel? Do you feel like you're struggling to keep going? Do you feel like, oh, we're such a small congregation, pressing on to be faithful to the Lord. It's so hard work. How are we going to keep on going? That's normal. That's, that's God's design for us. Because it means when someone is transformed through our weakness and through our smallness and so on, it's absolutely clear that it's happened not because we are so great, but because God is so great, because he has powerfully worked by his spirit to bring people to Christ. We're told here we're like clay pots. They were the kind of everyday storage container that you would uh, put your, know, your lunch in and then it would break and you would, you'd toss it away. Uh, maybe we could uh, contextualize it like this. You are like a plastic takeaway container. Inside is some glorious Penang Chakwe Jiao or some Asam Laksa or whatever you like. Uh, Ida loves her durians, right? It's got durians inside. The message is glorious, but the messenger is weak. The packaging is breakable. And yet, despite our weakness, despite our affliction, it's the gospel itself that keeps us going. Verse 8, 
He continues, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. Paul went through so many things in his ministry, isn't it? Town to town, riot, imprisonment, beating, shipwreck, everywhere he went, he caused, he faced a lot of trouble, didn't he? What? kept him going. Why didn't he just throw in the towel? Why didn't he give up? It tells us it's the gospel itself that kept him going. Do you feel tired? Do you feel like giving up? Is ministry too difficult? The Christian life too difficult? Keep your eyes on Jesus. It's the gospel itself that will keep you going. Yes, you know, rest is important. We don't want to burn out in ministry and all that. But I think often the reason people burn out is because they take their eyes off Jesus. They're so busy doing their duties, filling the rosters, making things happen from week to week, that they've actually stopped reading the Bible and finding encouragement and joy from the Word of God itself. But as we take our eyes off Jesus, that's when we lose the joy. That's when we feel like we might give up. Not Paul. He was afflicted, perplexed, struck down. Every bad thing you can imagine happened to Paul. Ministry, he told us, felt like death, chapter 1, verse 15. But it didn't stop him. It was the gospel itself that kept encouraging his heart and kept him going. And as he went on suffering for the gospel, it also allowed others to come to new life in Jesus too. And, And that's his point, I think, in verse 11. He says, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. See, if Christian ministry is so hard, then why bother doing it? Why not just go and do something else, have a comfortable life and take things easy? Why persevere in suffering for Jesus And we're told here, it's because as we suffer for Jesus, we're helping other people come to have life in him. Because people will ask, just like like we would ask of Paul, why did he keep going? Why didn't he just give up if it was all so difficult? The fact that Paul didn't give up, that he persevered through so many things, That made it absolutely clear that the only reason he could do that was because of God's work. The power of Jesus at work in his life, his resurrection power. What we've already talked about in verses 8 and 9, outwardly, weak, inwardly, strong. We proclaim Christ as Lord, trusting God to bring a response, and we expect suffering and affliction as we do, but experience resurrection life. Well, the third point, uh, we persevere for the sake of others. We persevere for the sake of others. And of course, we've already seen this in verse 12. Death is at work in us, life in you. Like Christ, we suffer for the sake of others. We die that they have life. Now, Jesus died for people's sins. We're not doing that. But as we suffer in our proclamation of Jesus, we're also allowing people to believe that message and receive eternal life themselves. And so far from being silenced by his suffering, 
Paul feels compelled to go on, not for his own sake, but for the sake of others. So he says in verse 13, Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. That quote is from Psalm 116 verse 10. And Paul's point there, I guess, is that that preaching the gospel is a natural overflow of faith in Jesus. We shouldn't need to be commanded to go and share the gospel with people uh, around us. It should be the natural overflow of a heart changed uh, by the gospel. I, I often liken this to, you know, when someone has a newborn baby, no one has to command them, you know, make sure you send out a message to tell everyone that you've, you've had a baby. No. He's just so joyful and happy that you've received this new baby that you naturally go and tell everyone uh, this, this good news. That's what gospel ministry is about. We believe, we've come to know Jesus in all of his glory. How could you possibly keep it to yourself? Now, God does command us, go and make disciples of all nations, but we don't need a command like that. If we know the resurrection life that Jesus brings, how could we not speak of it to others. And think about it, if we're not sharing the gospel with those around us, uh, we are not really loving them properly, are we? We might be loving them in lots of other ways, spending time with them and having meals with them and, and being generous with physical things. That's, those are good things to do. But ultimately, if we love people, we've got to tell them uh, how they can be saved. If we withhold the, the gospel from people around us, it's like a, a doctor withholding medicines from a patient that will save their life. I mean, how could a doctor do that? Uh, they see the person sick, they're going to die, they have the medicines that can make them better, and then they don't, they don't tell them, they don't give them the medicines. How could we do that? If we don't share the gospel with our family and friends, how will they come to faith in Jesus? How will they experience the forgiveness and the joy and the hope that we have? We truly love other people. Of course, we will share. If we're just thinking about ourselves, our own comfort, our own not dislike of being rejected, oh yes, of course, we'll be, we'll be silent. But if we're thinking of others, yes, we will speak. Indeed, if we're seeking the glory of God, we will speak. That's why he says in verse 15, it's all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So ultimately, we're not just preaching the gospel for the salvation of souls, but for the glory of God. As people come to know him, God himself is praised. Now, of course, the suffering is not easy, is it? Uh, Paul knows, though, that suffering is not the end. And he's already told us in verse 14, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. We can embrace the suffering now, the death now, because it leads to life in the end. God will raise us up just as he raised Jesus. And I think that brings us to the final point this morning. We need to keep an eternal perspective. We keep an eternal perspective. 
And so in verse 16, we return to where we began. Verse 16, we do not lose heart. How do you keep going in gospel ministry? How do you stop yourself from giving up because it's just all too hard and tiring? It's by keeping an eternal perspective, not simply looking at the here and the now with all the weakness and the suffering, not simply looking at what is external and what is visible, but what is spiritual, what is eternal on the glorious future that is coming when Jesus returns. Verse 16, we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Those are remarkable verses, aren't they? But they are tremendously encouraging for us. I think Paul here is not trying to downplay the sufferings that we often face in the Christian life. Paul suffered more things than most of us are ever going to have to. But he tells us here, the glorious thing about the gospel is that our sufferings will not last forever. No matter how bad it is, how difficult it is, how chronic it is, how incurable it is, Jesus died on the cross. He rose to new life so that we can look forward to a future where suffering is totally in the past. A glorious heavenly future. No more pain and tears. No more sickness and cancer. No more loneliness and rejection. No more depression and anxiety. Hallelujah for that. No more death. But only eternal glory. Eternal joy in the presence of God. Paul reminds us that on this eternal time scale, our sufferings now are just for a moment. They're just slight compared to how weighty and enormous will be the glory and the joy we'll experience at the end. So are you suffering right now? It's life kind of like really difficult. You just don't know how to go on, go on another day. There are just so many burdens you're carrying around. It seems hopeless. It seems like it's, it's never going to get better. You don't know what to do. You're at a loss, no matter how hard you try. This passage tells us one day it will get better. There is always hope with Jesus. One day our sufferings will end. Verse 16, we do not lose heart. Whether we're suffering from sickness, from the sins of others, whether we're suffering for the gospel, we do not lose heart. We can keep going, living for Jesus and proclaiming him. So let's uh, conclude then. I think many of us find the Christian life very difficult. We ask, Lord, why does it have to be so hard? We're thrown into turmoil as we try to share the gospel with others and it's constant rejection. We want to give up. But here we're told in this passage that ministry is a gift of God. We proclaim Christ as Lord, trusting God to bring the response. We expect suffering and, and rejection as we do, 
because many are still blinded by Satan to the glory of Christ. But we persevere for the sake of others and for the glory of God. And we do all this keeping an eternal perspective. We remember that our sufferings are temporary, but we have a glorious future to look forward to. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Brothers and sisters, please do not give up in your preaching of Christ to those around you. Whatever your discouragements may be, people not responding, the church is not growing as fast as you hope, it's too much rejection, tiredness, burning out because serving every week. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. God is powerfully at work by his spirit, bringing new creation life as we open our mouth and speak about the Lord Jesus. Now, at our church uh, last week, we had five people baptized. Three of those were my children, and uh, two were young adults who were from uh, non-Christian backgrounds. And the young adults, they shared their testimonies uh, of how Christ had transformed their, their life. And they had invited some non-believing family and friends uh, who came to, to, to witness as, as they did all of that. And I can tell you, it was, it was truly glorious. It was so, so encouraging. Two young men, uh, leaving behind an old life of sin to behold the glory of Jesus and to live for him. And my three young children, already professing faith, committed to the Lord uh, to keep serving him. You know what? I think as you witness something like that, uh, the baptism of people, people coming to faith in Jesus, then it makes everything else worth it. All the discouragements, all the tiredness, all the difficulties, suddenly they, they fade because you're just so happy uh, for God's work in the few. So don't give up. Don't lose heart. Go on boldly proclaiming Jesus. He will bring the fruit as he wishes. So let's, let's pray. Now, Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this glorious good news of the gospel. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus died and he rose again, that we might have new life, that we might look forward to this glorious future with you where our sufferings are no more. Lord, the Christian life is often hard and ministry is often hard and we just feel like giving up. And so, Lord, help us to persevere. Help us not to be discouraged. Help us, Lord, to persevere, to boldly preach Christ, not, not just for ourselves, but because we love others and we seek your glory. And Lord, we thank you that our weakness, our difficulty, our discouragement is not an accident, but you use it so that the glory goes to you. And so, Lord, use us, we pray, for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.